drape the gate like braces around your jaded faces, you base head casements. Fuck off. It's the Blind Boy Podcast, and you're very welcome. I am currently on a live podcast tour. So, before we continue, just a, a couple of quick dates for April. Right, this Friday, the 5th, I am in Nace, in the Moth Theatre, interviewing Colm O'Gorman, who is the head of Amnesty International in Ireland, and he's a sound bastard. I spoke with Colm before, backstage at Electric Picnic. Una Malali came over to interview us very briefly together. We had a quick conversation for like 10 minutes. But... We were absolutely, we really clicked. Do you know, we really clicked. And I could see by the by, by 10 minutes into it, Colin was getting emotional. Such was the clicking we did. And then it was all gone because I had to go on stage. So I'm looking forward to interviewing Colin O'Gorman. He's uh, an interesting character. 6th and the 7th, Vicar Street in Dublin. Um, As part of, uh, I think it's Music Town it's called or something. So on, on both nights, I will be interviewing guests that are related to music. On Saturday, I've got a fucking lovely lineup, lads. Um, I wanted to pick just some some Irish musical acts who I think, who I enjoy, who I personally enjoy at the moment, who I think are making good music. So I've got a little panel of artists who I'll be interviewing and having crack with, and it's going to be Quiva from Wyvern Lingo, Junior Brother, and Keen Kavanagh from Soft Boy Records which is Keane and Kojak founded Soft Boy. They're a very exciting kind of label and movement in Ireland at the moment. Kojak was supposed to come on, but he's over in London getting his pubes pixelated in Dalston. Then Sunday the 7th of April 2019, I've got a very special surprise guest who I'm not going to fucking tell you about. So there's some tickets left for all of those nights, really. They're almost nearly sold out, but you can still get tickets. Then on the 12th, Whitla Hall, Belfast. Belfast? Yeah, fuck it, I'm going to call it Belfast now. Fuck Belfast. Belfast. Like Derry, Londonderry. So I'm in Belfast on the 12th of April, and I don't know who I'm interviewing there. And then I'm down in Cork in the Opera House on the 27th of April. Don't know who I'm interviewing there. Alright. So come along to them. It'll be good crack, please. Oh yes, and of course, the morning of the 6th of April... Uh, 2019 tickets for the live podcasts in Toronto and Vancouver go on sale they're going to sell out I would imagine within an hour because I don't think the venues are huge I think there's only like 200 uh, they're like 200 seater venues so they're going to sell fast so get online the morning of the 6th of April probably Canadian time whenever their morning is oh fuck sure Vancouver and Toronto they're Jesus Christ, that's too much for my head anyway. I don't know, keep an eye on the internet. Uh, I don't know, I don't even know what fucking venues I'm playing in. Alright? Jesus, I'm shit at promoting gigs. Alright. So, and uh, yeah, promoters, did you hear that? Did you hear that? That's the, that's the sound of me fulfilling my contractual obligations. Okay? I advertise the gig at the, the front of the podcast, you cunts. Moving on. So it's it's the 2nd of April, uh, the clocks went forward there at the weekend, which was greatly confusing for me. I hate when fucking daylight savings happens, um, because I, I, just, I just can't make sense of it. I can't make sense of whether I lose sleep or gain it. 
because as I said last week I'm just shit with numbers and, and time and readings and things like that but yeah so the evenings are longer that for me officially means the end of winter you know um, so I got cocky this morning I got cocky and I wanted to go for a lovely big long run before I got writing the deadline for my second book of short stories is looming so I'm writing feverishly every day several thousand words but before I do that I have to either go for a 10 kilometer run or go to the gym to lift weights just just because that type of shit you start your day like that with all those endorphins releasing around your body it it it, it gives you energy it gives you physical and mental energy and a vibe of positivity so that's the first thing I do in the morning and then I sit down to write so this morning I open the door and it's fucking gorgeous absolutely gorgeous the sun is is belting down it's not warm you know it's cold but you know when you know when it's cold but the sun is out so the promise of its rays on your back will actually keep you warm even though it's the temperature isn't that actually warm so I said fuck it man I'm going out t-shirt and shorts and I'm going for a big long run down by the river so I did and then I'm about 20 minutes into it with this lovely lovely sun and out of fucking nowhere right I'm talking within within the space of a minute of a ha- and a half the sky turns black and there's this roaring gale and it starts snowing or sleet or I, do you know what I think it was sleet sleet is like a strange little snow hailstone rain hybrid that cuts your face like razor blades so I was there in my fucking t-shirt about 5k into the run no point going back so you just run through it you know getting battered with this wet sleet now I fucking hate that because what can happen is if you run a 10k and you have a t-shirt that's wet it hardens your nipples and you can end up with bleeding nipples which is a very unpleasant side effect of uh, running for long distances so I'm getting battered the fuck by this unpleasant sideways rain which lasts about 10 minutes and then it's sunny again then it's it's so fucking sunny and calm that the sun dries my soaking t-shirt then I get in home have a shower come out of the shower look out the window and even stronger gale with heavy heavy rain this time and I just couldn't believe it I was like this is what type of madness is going on with this weather what what why how can the weather switch from such uh, dichotomous extremes in such a short amount of time and then I remembered <coughs> It's the first three days of April. And my ma always told me that at any time it was shitty in the first three days of April with the weather, my ma would tell me this story. Um, it's an old Irish legend, like years and years old, an old mythology, and it's called An Bo Reavach, which is Irish for the brindle cow. And... Brindle is is Brindle's a fur pattern. Brindle is like uh, 
It's like a chestnut brown that has black patches on it or streaky patches. Um, you'd see the odd, if you see a pit bull, pit bull terrier, brown pit bull terriers that are kind of chestnut and have kind of black stripes. That's a brindle pattern and a brindle colour. So this old Irish legend called the Brindle Cow on Bo Reavach, which addresses the insanity of the first three days of April... And it's a beautiful story. It's it's encapsulates perfectly the fantastic humour and surreal irrationality of the Irish psyche, you know, which which I think has to be influenced by the weather. I mean, Irish culture and you know how we speak and our literature, you know, from Flann O'Brien right back to the town or even James Joyce, there's a real playful, humorous irrationality and surreality to our kind of culture. And anyway, this story, it's about it's about this brindled, brown, patterned cow who is, they have a, the weather in March is kind of, because March is shitty, you know, so the cow is like, the weather in March is shit and raining and cold all the time and the cow's out in the field putting up with it, you know, going, fuck this March weather anyway. You know, it's grand. I'll deal with it. And then March ends and as soon as March ends, the cow, she gets cocky about March. She goes, fuck March with its shit weather. I, I put up with 28 fucking days of that shit month with its cold wind and it's wet, well, fuck March. March can go fuck itself. But the cow's all cocky, you know. She's all cocky about March because she has the safety of April and she has the, the confidence and knowledge that April will be mild. So she's no hassle, bad mouth in March. So then March, the month, the unit of time, gets pissed off with the talking cow. And March says, well, fuck that cow. Who the fuck is that cow to be talking shit about me from April? You think you're hard, do you? Over in April, talking shit about me. Well, fuck you. So March decides that it's going to jump ahead in time. And March asks April, can it borrow a couple of days? So then April says to March, come on, so March, I'll, I'll give you the... You, you can have the first three days of my month for the crack. Because to be honest with you... I don't like the way that cow is talking shit either. I think that cow is being cocky and they're 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 hiding behind me. That cow is hiding behind me, April. So do you know what, March? I'm gonna give you the first three days and you can get a bit of revenge. So March gets revenge on the cow by borrowing the first three days of April. So what ensues from Mar- from April first is this incredibly erratic violent weather of in particular very very strong strong cold wet winds and on the first day of April the winds knock the cow over and she's like begging for mercy going alright March I'm sorry I'm sorry chill out March is like fuck you bitch not a hope then the second day of April March, uh, March is going nuts and March is like I'm gonna kill you so the cow dies on the second day of April and then on the third day of April 
the wind of March is so extreme and cold that it strips the flesh off the cow. All her fur, her brindle fur and her flesh flies into the fucking universe and, the, and it bleaches her bones. And then after the third day of April, March, March is like, grand, all right, I'll talk to you next year, April. Thanks for that. And then April continues on all calm as the dead cow bleaches in a field. And isn't that just fucking beautiful? Isn't that just gorgeous? And it's like, it's mad because I think back, my ma used to say that to me all the time. The first three days of April are shit. And it's true. And it's obviously some weird fucking pattern that's been going on for ages in the weather. And some person a thousand years ago with way too much time on their hands is just like, yeah, that's why it happens. It's a conversation between two months because they're pissed off with a cocky cow. And I was that cow today. When I went out for that run, I opened up the door and I said, it's sunny. And decided I'm going to go in shorts and a fucking t-shirt. And then arrived home with my fucking nipples nearly bleeding. I was that cow. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. Um, to be a, to be a part of that uh, cosmic act of theatre, I suppose you'd call it. You know, um, it made me smile, but I do have sore nipples. So fuck it. I despise my nipples. I have unnecessarily large brown areolas, and. I wouldn't mind them getting bleached by the first three days of April, to tell you the truth. Very foolish-looking chest I have. Write that on my gravestone. I don't really have any specific hot takes this week, I don't think. Um, Last week was boiling hot. Last week's podcast was about the the impact of the music of the Beach Boys on, and on Nirvana. And I fucking love doing it. I loved it. I, it was a very intense experience. I love doing podcasts where I can speak in a very uh, concentrated, passionate way about something I really care about. But, yeah, the thing with hot takes, hot takes take a lot of energy. So I don't, like, I can't rely upon a Biden hot take every week. Or else I'd be spoofing. So, this week's one... I think I'm going to ramble. I'm going to ramble and see what it takes me. Do you know? Might do a bit of... Do you know what I haven't done in fucking ages as well? I do it in a while. And there's been a lot of people asking for it. I haven't read out Donald Trump's tweets as my drunk limerick aunt in a long time. I haven't done that in maybe, I'd say, 15 podcasts possibly. So we'll do a small bit of that. But speaking of, of politicians' tweets... Um, Brexit is going on at the moment, you know, which is, I don't know what's fucking happening with Brexit. Listen, I'm looking at the news every hour and I can't tell what's happening with Brexit. It's insanity. So I'm just kind of chilling out. I'm just kind of backing off from it. But one thing that, that, I don't know, struck me today as interesting was Emmanuel Macron who is either the I think he's either president or prime minister of France president I think so Emmanuel Macron within the flurry of this 
Brexit madness publicly declares right a very, a very strong statement a very a very definite and strong statement for a politician to make and the thing is politicians generally don't make really strong statements and when they do it's hard to take it at face value it's like there has to be an ulter- ulterior motive so Macron says France will never let Ireland down okay in reference to you know the bullshit that Brexit means for Ireland Brexit essentially violates the Good Friday Agreement we're very concerned here about the return of a hard border in the north of Ireland very concerned about it because nobody wants that what people want is fucking a united Ireland to be honest that's the word on the street that's what most people that I know want a fucking united Ireland and for the Brits to just get the fuck out completely of the country but a hard border is something nobody wants because just fuck that I don't even have to explain why I do I remember very young like I was about fucking nine but I do remember going up to the north when I was about nine and being in the back of the car and just seeing a a British soldier just pointing a gun in my dad's face not necessarily aggressively, not like I'm going to shoot you, but just... And and I suppose it's pure southern privilege on my part, because, you know, for people living up north, that was their fucking lives. But for me as a tourist going up north as a kid, it's like you've got this life down in Limerick where there's no soldiers, and then you go to the north of Ireland, and you go to this checkpoint, and all of a sudden there's this young soldier with a huge machine gun and he's talking to my dad and he's pointing the gun at my dad's face it wasn't resting by his side it's like holding it and I'm pointing this at your face or a fucking machine gun um not necessarily as an act of aggression but just that's how it was if 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 you move one inch I'm legally allowed to murder you and your family that's what I'll do if you if I think that you're going to drive ahead so that was fucking awful and it stuck with me as a kid as being very traumatising and frightening and something I never ever wanted to see for the people of Belfast and the people of Derry that was their fucking daily lives okay um, so no one wants a return to that no one wants, wants the RA back no one wants the fucking UVF no one wants conflict so Macron says France will never let Ireland down. So basically, on the surface, what he's saying is whatever bullshit England are going to pull with this Brexit stuff, the EU will 100% back Ireland and favour Ireland as because Ireland is a member state. That's, that's what he's saying on the surface. What I didn't like about the comment, right, it's, it's obviously it's, it's well-intentioned on the surface. What I didn't like about it is that I, I don't believe Macron when he says France will never let Ireland down I don't believe he's making that statement for a love of Ireland for a solidarity with Ireland I think he's playing colonial tennis which is this weird thing that former colonial powers do when Macron says France will never let Ireland down all he's doing is taking a dig at England he's jabbing England or Britain and it's this weird thing when I speak to my British 
pals about, you know, what the fuck did you actually learn in school? I say to them, did you learn about the horrors and murder that went on with British colonialism? Did you learn about that? And most of my British pals say, not really, no. We didn't. We learned a little bit about colonialism, but in general, the gist of what we learned was how the Spanish were really bad and how the French were terrible at colonialism and they were really nasty. And the British are good because the British ended slavery, even though they invented it. The modern, you know... Well, I won't say the British invented it, but they... The Portuguese were probably the first to do the African slave trade, but the Brits really fucking... They really turned it into an industry. But that's what my British mates say. We learned about how French was, the French were bad and how the Spanish were bad and how Britain ended slavery. And Britain's colonialism was good. Which it wasn't. Fuck that. So that's what Macron is doing. He's taking pot shots at Britain. It's, it's an old colonial game. Do you know? And the reason, I, the reason I think that is just... Like Macron has... He's defended the French colonialism in Africa... Um, what's going on in the country at the moment with the yellow yellow jacket protests and police brutality? He's 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 a centrist right winger, do you know. So I don't believe him. I don't believe it's like all of a sudden he's got love and compassion for Ireland. It's a desire to take a jab at England to all colonial enemy, playing out those old politics with us being used as a tennis ball essentially, and. Of course, then a desire to... I mean, from the EU's perspective, they have to make sure that when Britain leaves, that no other country looks at Britain and goes, fuck it, they got a pretty good deal. So it's in the interest of the EU to be harsh on Britain so that no one else thinks of leaving. Um, But yeah, the, the colonial tennis match that I'm talking about there with Ireland as the ball, this bizarre competition that former empires engage in with each other it reminded me of <clears throat> Roger Casement and Casement I think he was given a knighthood for it I think I think that's why he got a knighthood but Roger Casement was a he was an Irish revolutionary he participated he tried to smuggle guns in for the 1916 rising and he was executed Um a proud Irish revolutionary, but Casement also worked for the Brits. He was a he was a British diplomat. He was knighted. He's considered the father of of human rights, you know. But what Casement basically did, his big thing that he did for the Brits, is the Belgians, who very you know, a very small na- nation, but also a colonial power. The Belgians were. Well, King Leopold specifically, the King of Belgium, had kind of declared the Congo. The Congo was the Congo in Africa was called Leopoldville, and it was like his own little personal state. It's like it wasn't even. Yes, it was colonized by Belgium, but it was like an area that actually belonged to Leopold himself, like his own little personal experiment. And King Leopold was committing unbelievable atrocities and slavery in the Congo um, mass murder chopping fucking limbs off enforced slavery disgusting shit so Casement uh, came out with this thing called the Casement Report I believe which basically detailed 
the huge amounts of crimes and inhumanity that, that was being committed in the Congo at the hands of Leopold and Belgium. And the British powers um, celebrated this massively. They celebrated Casement as a hero for you know in uncovering this. But you know, like, do, do you think the, the British, the British Empire, all of a sudden, gave a shit about fucking Africans in in the Congo? You know, considering what they would have been doing in Nigeria at the time, or, or what they were doing in India, or what they were doing in Ireland. So why all of a sudden does the British Empire give a shit about fucking human rights? And it's like they don't. First off, they were bolstering this, oh, we're the British, we stopped slavery business, so now we're going to stop it in the Congo. Mostly what they were doing was just taking a jab at Belgium. It was just a way to hold up another colonial power and go, ha, 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 look what they're doing. Look Look how bad they are at colonialism. They're so mean and nasty. Without taking into account what Britain's actually doing at the exact same time. In their own colonies. And that's a little bit. I might be reading too much into it. I might be, my take might be too hot. But I got a bang of that. Off Macron's comment. When he said. France will, will stand by Ireland at all costs. What did he say? No, France will never let Ireland down. Fuck off. Spoofer. As if the French give a fuck about the Irish. And I've never I had one I had one experience. I'm basing this on one experience that I had in France. I was in a restaurant. I was one of my friends got married in France about fucking a couple of years ago, four or five years ago. So I went over to France. Um, and France is weird. It's it's the only tourist place where you'll go to where, like, if you, if you speak English, they're not having it. They fucking won't have it. They, they you you go to your fucking hotel in France, and if you're speaking English, they will make you speak a little bit of French, just for the effort of it. That they fucking hate it. Other countries, Spain don't really mind people speaking English. Um, I know the Dutch don't. Barcelona, the uh, well, in my experience, the the best place to get away with speaking English is fucking Barcelona. Because they identify as Catalan, so they they don't particularly like speaking Spanish that much as well. So English is a nice compromise. I hate. I don't have any fucking European languages, so I hate it. I hate going to countries and speaking English, mainly because. I don't want them thinking that I'm a Brit or a Yank. So usually what I'll do is I'll speak a small bit of Irish. And then if I speak a small bit of Irish and the person doesn't understand me, then they will suggest English as a compromise because English is the language of tourism. So sometimes I'll do that so that they don't think I'm a Brit or a Yank. But I was in a restaurant anyway. And I was confronted with uh, just a shocking shocking amount of uh, rudeness. So what the, the the restaurant? This is how class France is. I was staying in like just a regular fucking hotel, and the restaurant that was in the hotel happened to just be a Michelin starred restaurant. wasn't even expensive to be honest. It was just here's our hotel. By the way, the the restaurant has a fucking Michelin star, 
So I went in there and I sat down and ordered whatever fucking course was there. Of course, the menu's in, in French. So I just ordered whatever's there. And they come down to me with a starter. Fucking bone marrow. Now, I'd never seen bone marrow in my life. I didn't know people eat the inside of bones. Hadn't a clue. So they threw this fucking bone down in the middle of the table with this weird skinny toast and knives and forks. So I'm sitting... And then this shot glass of... Like a meaty gazpacho. Like a meaty cold tomato soup. I don't know what the fuck it was. So I'm sitting down there like a langer with my bone in front of me and I don't know what to do with it I haven't a fucking clue what to do with it the waiter comes over and he speaks a bit of English he says is there a problem and I said look what is this and he starts chuckling and he goes oh it's bone marrow and then I say what do I do with it how do I eat it so he shows me he fucking gets the butter knife sticks it into the bone puts it onto the toast and says there eat that which I'd never seen. How the fuck am I supposed to know about bone marrow from Ireland? We don't eat the inside of bones. And then after I did it, he turned around to all the other customers and said really, really loudly, Irlande, which means Irish person. And then he laughed and everyone else laughed. And it made me feel like one of those, um, those shitty caricatures, those racist caricatures of Irish people. That the Brits and the Yanks used to print, you know? An ape-like creature. Sitting on a lot of dynamite. It made me feel like that. And it was shit. It was shit. So that made me think, right, well that's that's sheer and utter fucking French colonialism. No different to the type of thing you might get from a posh Brit. Um, an air of superiority and all of this because the Irish are, are animals. And then as I got kind of looking into it more I heard about this thing I think it's called Paris Syndrome and it's fucking fascinating it's like a a site specific form of I don't want to go so far and say psychosis but it's like a site specific mental health issue or mental illness issue that happens Almost exclusively to Asian people who visit Paris. Um, more specifically Japanese. But also uh, Chinese and Korean. And... Like, Paris Paris is kind of fetishized a bit in Asia. Like, in China... Um, like, one of the things in China at the moment is... A huge portion of the Chinese economy for the past 20 years, I believe, is based on this giant fucking property bubble. I'm pulling this figure out of my arse. It's it's 90% accurate, right? But I think I heard that like in the past 50 years, even less maybe, I think it might be even 30, 20 years, China has used more concrete than the entirety of the West since the start of the Industrial Revolution. So, in China... There's entire cities that are built and no one lives in there. They're being built for the sake of building to prop up a bubble. But there is this area of China and it's it's creepy. It's it's this city or this town called Tiandu Cheng, right? So basically the Chinese 
built this entire city that is literally a replica of parts of Paris and then I think another section is like parts of London like a perfect like a city you can live in proper houses and it looks exactly like Paris and London to a T they've rebuilt it they have a fucking Eiffel Tower they have a replica of the Eiffel Tower and again because there's this mad property bubble China have built too much shit so it was built as something that they'd hoped incredibly wealthy Chinese people would go and live in this fake Paris in China but that's not the case because there's too much property the people that are living there are kind of poor to middle income people so it's not really luxury Paris it's like people hanging their jocks out the window in these amazing French colonial buildings but this is you know it's it's symptomatic of the Asian fetishization of tourism to places like Paris and London so anyway Paris syndrome is this really rare psychological condition it happens to about 50 people a year from mostly Japan when they visit Paris and it's the symptoms of it are like extremely high stress but also temporary psychosis like hallucinations um, and like depersonalization and derealization like those are things that go hand in hand with to me it sounds like you know a couple of podcasts back I did the podcast on what it's like to live with severe anxiety and to repeatedly get panic attacks and you depersonalize and are under intense stress all the time it sounds like that but anyway Japanese people visit fucking Paris and end up in this situation not all like I said 50 people a year is fuck all considering the amount of tourism but it's enough to merit a a what the fuck so there's there's many theories behind it we spoken in about 25 podcasts ago longer more even I'd say Jesus I did an episode on collectivism within Asian societies and specifically rice growing cultures Japan is a society whereby it is founded upon collectivism and with collectivism people cooperate with each other and they're polite to each other and they all kind of move forward not in a selfish way not in an individualistic way but in a collective way they all cooperate and tolerate each other for a greater good of the community and in the podcast I discussed this exists most likely because cultures that have rice as the staple food they were founded upon a culture whereby if, if you need to grow rice for a village everyone has to get stuck in simple as that rice is a difficult thing that requires everyone to get involved in so if everyone doesn't pull their weight with rice you starve so this results in Japanese collectivism okay so France is an incredibly individualistic culture it's western as fuck it's about me 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 Um, you know the concept of France came up with like no they didn't come up with republicanism it's an old Roman idea I believe but the French Republic is 
full personal liberation, personal freedom, individualism. Yes, you're part of a country, but you have the right to individual self-determination. That's the, the French way. So when these Japanese people visit France, firstly as well, a part of it is, is it's the fetishization of Paris. It's the belief that Paris is an incredibly magical, wonderful place where the best fashion comes from and the best culture comes from. So the Japanese people, they go to Paris with an incredibly high, unrealistic expectation of what it's going to be like. Then when they get there, the people are incredibly rude. Okay? Um, I don't think it's xenophobic for me to say that Parisian culture is fucking rude. If you've been to Paris, you know the shtick. It, it's... People are kind of rude there. You know? Um, maybe... Maybe they're not fucking rude. Maybe that. Maybe that's just how they are in comparison to, we'll say, Irish culture where... We can be rude, but we're also kind of... We, we can be nice as well. But in Paris, for as an Irish person, you go to Paris and it's like... Jesus... You're mean. So for a Japanese person, multiply that by a thousand. In Japan, where people don't even eat in public because that's considered rude or you bump into someone, you apologise, all this type of stuff. That's how Japan is. So Japanese people go to Japan and a very small amount experience Paris Syndrome, which is an intense, stressful sense of fucking shock at... How dirty the place is. Or I think handbag snatchers were given as one example. Um, When you go into a shop. Like in Japan. Customer service is very efficient and effective. When when the customer walks in they're given a lot of attention. But when you go in France. They don't give a fuck about you. These are things that I read now on a study that was done about it. But it's just crazy. It's fucking mad. The other... kind of site specific psychosis that springs to mind when I you know when I was thinking about Paris syndrome there's Jerusalem syndrome that's the other one which is it's it's not as much crack as Paris syndrome because Paris syndrome is kind of just not to be not to be a prick but there's something kind of funny about Paris syndrome Obviously, it's it's not funny for the poor person experiencing it. Um, I'm sure it's incredibly painful, but... As an elevator pitch, the idea of... Japanese people... Going temporarily mad because they're so rude in France... You know, th- that's... Humorous. It sounds like a joke, even though I know... For the people involved, of course, that's not humorous at all. That's going to be very stressful. But j- there's Jerusalem Syndrome... And Jerusalem syndrome, that's kind of more widespread. It's it's widespread enough that in Jerusalem there's a specific psychiatric hospital dedicated to treating that alone because it's so common. And it's something that's been happening for fucking years. Mostly amongst Christians. Jerusalem, obviously, you know, that's... Is it the birthplace of Christ? He born in Palestine. I don't know. I'm not that open my Christianity, but Christ did a lot of shit in Jerusalem. He was knocking around Jerusalem, doing his thing. 
So it's a very important place to Christians. So this thing can happen, 50 people a year, where the Christian person will arrive in Jerusalem and initially, you know, they'll feel depersonalized or not real and they'll blame it on jet lag, they'll just think they're tired. And then all of a sudden the person starts to exhibit very odd, irrational, messianic behavior. They will start to truly believe and think that they are, if not Christ, another major figure from the Bible. Now, they're not having crack. They're not playing. It's a kind of a a stressful mania where they truly lose their sense of identity and believe themselves to be a biblical figure when they get to Jerusalem. The symptoms of it are uh, first, overwhelming fucking anxiety because let's face it, depersonalization is no crack. Uh, not being able to identify who you are is no crack. The followed by a sudden urge to, if you were a group of people, to fuck off on your own, to, to no longer want to be with the people that you travel to Jerusalem with, to go off on your own. Then what usually follows is an obsession with uh, cleanliness. Persistent bathing, grooming, showering. Bizarrely, one one that's like really common. T- taking all your clothes off and, and wearing a bed sheet. So ra- wrapping yourself in a white bed sheet and, and wearing that. Roaring and shouting Bible, Bible verses. Um, going to a, a holy place with a sense of impassioned intent and then finally I shouldn't be laughing I shouldn't be laughing because it's it's, I'm sure it's it's very distressful for the people that it's happening to but delivering a sermon in the holy place that you go to and uh, urging people to to repent or whatever the fuck and that's Jerusalem syndrome uh, uh, Jerusalem syndrome and I know it's it's like it, it does, it raises a chuckle, let's be fucking honest, you know, even though it shouldn't. But like t- tour guides, tour guides in Jerusalem are trained to spot when this is going to happen. If they're bringing Christians around the gaff, the tour guides are trained to spot when someone is exhibiting Jerusalem syndrome. And it's a real thing that fucking happens, 50 people a year. And there's a psychiatric ward for it. The, the general kind of consensus in psychology about you know what the fuck is the crack with Jerusalem syndrome you know is can Jerusalem turn a person psychotic because you know what those symptoms are really they're the symptoms of psychosis and the consensus tends to be it's it's the people who experience Jerusalem syndrome already have a pre-existing underlying psychotic disorder or possibly a form of schizophrenia and it can be the schizophrenia in the first place that kind of urges the person to get to Jerusalem in in the first place if you get me so it, it's it's a pre-existing condition which manifests itself as a, as a a religious desire to go to Jerusalem and then it 
the symptoms fully present when the person reaches the apex of that journey you know that's that's the most modern reading of what it actually is but it's been happening a long long time those are the only two I can think of I don't know how the fuck I got onto that Glasgow Syndrome Um, Glasgow Syndrome is different it's not a site specific psychological disorder it's it's an economic condition it's I think what it is off the top of my head people in Glasgow have tend to die young there's there's a lot of early deaths in Glasgow and it doesn't quite match other modern industrialized cities that Glasgow has a unique type of syndrome and condition where people just die earlier and it's it baffles people they don't really know why uh, people dying from alcoholism heart disease suicide things like that there's a definite correlation with some type of social deprivation but at the same time they found that Glasgow isn't really like it's it's not necessarily any worse off than like Manchester or Sheffield or somewhere so they can't really wrap their heads around it but people die earlier in Glasgow but 40 minutes in now so it's probably time for an old ocarina pause or something um, and then after the Ocarina pause, I'll do a read out a few of Trump's tweets as your drunk limerick and where the fuck is the Ocarina right the Ocarina does not appear to be at hand the banjo is at the other side of the room where is it yeah that's at the back of the studio and you know what I've got a nice bit of fucking flow I'm liking the ramble this week uninterrupted rambling Letting my head take me where I want it. Partly inspired, to be honest. I went back listening to Bill Burr. Uh, I enjoyed Bill Burr's podcast, but I hadn't listened to him in a couple of months. And I listened to Bill Burr. And Bill Burr's podcast was one of the inspirations for me doing this. When I heard Bill Burr just simply... He just turns on the mic and he talks. And I used to love it. I used to love the freedom of it. And... That inspired me. That may, I, I said to myself, right, well, if Bill Burr can sit down once a, once a week and press record and talk, then I can at least try. So I went back listening to Bill Burr, and it reminded me of, yeah, fuck it, what's wrong with just having a podcast with a, a long stream of conscious ramble? Hadn't done one in a while. So I don't have the fucking accurate, what have we got? We've got that. We had a lighter before, and we we have a weed grinder. So we're gonna have. I'm gonna a weed grinder pause this week for the adverts to go in. Let's see if this even makes noise. It's a plastic, one of those shitty plastic weed grinders. Okay, here's the the weed grinder pause. Oh. That's not particularly pleasurable, but I, I'm impressed by the acoustics of it. This is where you need one of those binaural mics now, or the stereo ones. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. There's the weed grinder pause, let's. Um, that was so, if there was any digital adverts inserted. This podcast is sponsored by you, the listener, all right, via the Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash the blind boy podcast. If you like the podcast, if you're coming to it every week and you enjoy it, if you're the type of person who, I don't know, if I'm providing the podcast hug as I describe it, which is... The gentle, relaxing vibe and that, that little break in the day that you get out of listening to a podcast. If I'm providing that for you and you're thinking, fuck it, if I met Blind Boy in real life, I would buy him a cup of coffee or a pint. If you're of that mindset, you can do that via the Patreon page. Become a patron of the podcast, please do. It makes a huge difference to my life. The Patreon is the reason that I'm back here every single fucking week doing this podcast if it wasn't for the Patreon, to be honest, I wouldn't be doing this every week um, because I'm too fucking busy. Right now, I'm in the middle of writing my book. I'm trying to do several thousand words a day. I'm incredibly busy. Um, and if I had the choice, I just I just wouldn't. I'd be taking a break from the podcast for a couple of months to focus 100% on the book. But because I have patrons who are giving me the price of a pint once a, once a month, I have an obligation and a responsibility to just... I deliver every week. Simple as that. Um, so please consider it. Patreon.com forward slash the blind by podcast. I fucking love it when people subscribe to the Patreon. But if you can't afford it, no hassle. That's no problem. You get the exact same podcast as everyone else. This is a donation model based on soundness. Some people can afford to be patrons. Some people can't. It's grand. We'll all be grand. Um... Another nice thing you can do if you're listening on iTunes make sure and subscribe to the podcast make sure and leave a rating make sure and leave a review that's a great thing that you can do this podcast is now available on Spotify if you're on Spotify follow the podcast and tweet about it suggest it to a friend especially if you're not living in Ireland this podcast is growing pretty fucking exponentially internationally in really mad countries that I didn't think it was going to grow in and this is because of word of mouth I'm going to Canada doing a lot of gigs because my Canadian listeners are telling their friends about it and if they're in an office they're telling their friends I'm listening to this podcast and that's turning into gigs so 
please do that if it's not too much hassle. Tweet it, fucking Facebook, whatever the fuck. God bless. Alright. It's time for the return of Donald Trump. Donald Trump's tweets being read by your drunk limerick aunt. Let's go for it. Let's see what the prick is tweeting. So I'll set the scene. Uh, It's about two in the morning. You're sitting down at home. You... You decide you want to rewatch The Sopranos. So you flick on the fucking Sopranos. You start at episode one. You're about three episodes in. You're fucking loving it. You're relaxed. You're like, fuck me. I forgot how good The Sopranos were. The light's off. Just that blue glow of the television. And then you hear the keys in the hall door. And they're taking a little bit longer than usual. There's a rattle to them. And the hall door opens. With a briskness and a slight slam. You know, something unbecoming for two in the morning. It's your drunk limerick aunt. And she's been drinking. Rosé. No, sparkling rosé and buckfast. That's what some of the girls in limerick are drinking at the moment. Sparkling rosé and buckfast. I've heard it's nice. I'm going to have to try it. So she's had a feed of sparkling rosé and buckfast at her friend Sharon's house. And now she's back. She's, she said a few words to the taxi driver. Now she's in the sitting room. What are you watching? Is that Tony Soprano? I don't like him. I don't like his jowls. Don't like him at all. I think he's a prick. The way he shouts at Carmela. Why does she put up with him at all? Why does why Carmela... Tawny, Tawny, she just roars at him all the time. Fucking leave him, girl, will you? I haven't seen any Democrats down here at the border working with us, asking us to speak to any of us. They have an open invitation. We're getting overrun. Our facilities are over capacity. We're at emergency crisis. After many, many years, decades... Mexico is apprehending large numbers of people at the southern border, mostly from Guatemala, Honduras and El Salvador. They've all been taking US money for years and doing absolutely nothing worse, just like the Democrats in Congress. There's no amount of testimony or document production that can satisfy Jerry Nadler or shifty Adam Schiff. It is now time to focus exclusively on properly running our great country. I'm going to bed. So that was the... The welcome return... Of your drunk limerick aunt... Reading out Donald Trump's tweets. There you go. So... <clears throat> I want to do something new this week. Something I've never done before. Um, Just for the crack. So this week... I... I meditated... For the first time in months okay i i i don't know why i stopped meditating i think it's because just running and stuff like that i didn't really need it but this week i just felt like i'm i'm overwhelmed with work to be honest i've got a book deadline coming up i have to have my book written by the end of may i'm writing several thousand words a day you know, having to delve into 
the state of flow in order to do that, which requires me to be quite grounded and relaxed. If I'm to write and actually be creative, I have to be quite grounded and relaxed and be able to have fun. But I'm also incredibly busy. Like, you know, this weekend of three fucking gigs, you know, that's tough going. A lot of preparation goes into that. I've got the podcast. I've my BBC series that's currently being edited. I often have to do voiceover work or little bits of editing in my studio for that. So I've no fucking time. From the moment I wake up in the morning to when I go to sleep at night, I am working. I love it. It's work that I fucking love doing. I'm passionate about it. It's fun. But when you're that busy, it can be very easy to... You don't notice if you're stressed at all, to be honest. You don't... Not only do you not notice if you're stressed, I could have an injury. I, I could have, like, a, a sore foot or I'd itchy palms and you don't notice it because you're you're so busy and so absorbed. So I just got this... Came into my head this week. I, I should meditate. I should meditate. I should meditate and be a bit more mindful so that I look after myself and that I don't what I'm trying to avoid is 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 burnout when you're working really hard especially when it's something you love doing when I'm working on something I love doing it doesn't feel like work so I can very intensely do it from when I wake up until I go to bed I've mentioned before if 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 I didn't have to sleep I wouldn't I get pissed off when I go to bed because it's like here's 8 hours where I can't do that thing I want to do. So I just decided I'd fucking meditate. A very simple mindfulness meditation where I check in with my physical body and my emotions for 10 minutes and I did it. And it was fucking phenomenal. It was amazing. I needed it so badly and I didn't know. I uncovered feelings of frustration feelings of anger that I was having and I uncovered a tension in my jaw that I wasn't aware of a tension in my fists the presence of underlying anger is what I uncovered from my meditation this week I brought it into my awareness Within all my business, I'm going around the place clenching my teeth and clenching my fists because something is making me feel angry. Probably, I'm probably angry at not being able to dedicate as much time to my book as I'd like. In a perfect world, I would just be writing my book. That's all I'd be doing. But the nature of the industry that I'm in where I'm, I'm essentially self-employed I'm a creative I'm an artist I know I have to strike while the fucking iron is hot so if there's gigs going I gotta take the gigs I can't be turning down gigs Um, you have to take every bit of work that comes to you and work feverishly at it because in six months time that can disappear really quickly that's the nature of the fucking industry Twitter could switch it could flick a switch and all of a sudden all my followers on Twitter are worth nothing and I can't put the podcast out there, I can't promote. Shit can happen overnight with my job. So I got to work feverishly and intensely and make sure that I'm doing it 
when the sun is shining. So I had a lot of anger around that because there's a frustration to it and an unfairness. Is, I don't want to say unfairness. That's I experience it as an unfairness. It's not an unfairness. There's nothing unfair about there being work to be done that I can earn a living from. There's nothing unfair about that. But I'll take ownership of the fact that I um, experience it as an unfairness because I prefer to just be writing my book. So that all came up for me during meditation. And I'm so grateful and glad that it did. And not only that, the 10 minutes of, of meditation gave me a a catharsis and a relaxation and a letting go of bodily and mental tension that I wasn't didn't know that I was carrying and it all left and I felt fucking amazing. I felt more rested from 10 minutes of meditation than from any of the sleeps I've been getting recently. Meditation is one of the most powerful tools that is available to the human body. It's it's kind of like it's it's not far off wanking. It's it's in that territory. It's like oh my god, what? It's free. This there's a, here's a free thing that I can do and it releases all these chemicals in my brain and I don't need special equipment. Well, some people do. But like I don't need special equipment and I can just do this. Meditation is like that. When you meditate and you can do it, you're left afterwards going, I can't believe this is free. I can't believe I can take 10 minutes out of my day and feel like I've just taken this incredible drug. And it's like, you haven't. You've released natural endorphins and chemicals throughout your body. And it's a thing that we can switch on. And it's not spiritual. It's not religious. It's not supernatural. It's a very simple exercise in awareness and mindfulness so and it's something that I used to do it daily and then like I said I kind of I kind of stopped and that's fine there's nothing wrong with that some people do it a lot some people do it twice a day three times a day I do it when I need it and it can be a very useful and helpful tool for your mental health processes to to it can be great to understand your emotions, to truly know what you're feeling, to be able to name it and to be able to take ownership of it. When negative emotions like tension, anger, anxiety exist as a hum that kind of controls us outside of our conscious awareness, you can carry anger around and anxiety around for weeks and not really know, you, you know, it's like, you know, but you're, you you can't name it, you just don't feel right, you don't know why, you just don't feel right, because too much energy is in the head, continual thinking all day long, thinking, 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 and you're spending no time then in the body, what meditation does is it allows us to spend a little bit of time in the body, out of the head, out of the continual non-stop thoughts of how busy you are or the tasks you need to do or who you're pissed off with, all that intense head thinking 
that keeps us out of our body that keeps us not aware of a sore foot or a pain in our tummy do you know meditation allows that to happen so what I'm going to fucking chance this week for the crack because why not I might do a little and I've never done this before a short 10 minute guided meditation that if you want I'll do it at the end of the podcast you can you can do this you can sit down with the earphones in follow my instructions and I will take you through a basic 10 minute we'll say mindfulness mindfulness meditation that hopefully will really fucking relax you and ultimately what I want is what I'm really excited about is if you've never meditated here's your chance now to have a crack at it and for you to go fuck me why didn't I know about this and then for you to become a person who meditates Um, before I do it like meditation is one of these things that it gets thrown around a lot meditation and mindfulness are things that get thrown around a lot as, as easy solutions for people with mental health issues I'm sure many of you have gone to a doctor with depression or anxiety only to be almost insulted by them saying to you exercise and meditate which is a it's a bullshit when someone's in crisis that's a bullshit solution exercise and meditation are essential parts of a, of a, a good mental health regime that should be included but they're not really a solution to anything you know it's more complex than that I want to speak about meditation as something that you can engage with and do. It's like I'm suggesting to you a a nice meal or a nice restaurant, you know, not to cure anything. Another thing, just to put agency into your hands. Meditation isn't for everybody. 99% of the time it's an intensely pleasurable, brilliant, harmless thing to do, a natural thing. However... It can, in very rare situations, be unpleasant for some people. Mainly people who may suffer what's known as body trauma. Okay? What I mean by that is, like with meditation, a lot of it is scanning and checking in with your body, different parts of your body. So if, I don't know, you were attacked at some point, if, if you're a victim of an assault of some description and a traumatic emotional experience is tied up with a physical injury at a certain part of your body some of the emotional trauma and the memories of it can stored is the wrong word but they can mentally correlate with that part of your body so some people a very small amount of people when they meditate and scan their bodies overwhelming negativity can come up that can correlate to a trauma they experienced if you've been in a car crash for instance you know and it hurts your legs or your arm or whatever car crashes are no crack they're terrifying frightening things that the brain simply goes that's too much i'm not dealing with that after the unconscious mind with you so meditation in rare situations can bring up emotional physical trauma around a car crash if you've ever gotten an unprovoked 
box into the head or a headbutt. You know, especially if you're a lad. I've received many punches into the face in my life and many headbutts, especially when I was a teenager. And you're a lad, so you have to take it on the chin, as you say, or fucking fight back. But it's still frightening and it's not nice. Even though you can't say it out loud and you can't admit it. No one likes getting a box into the fucking head. Stuff like that can come up. I'm not saying it will. I'm just being responsible. So maybe go off and do a bit of reading and end the podcast now. But for anyone who would like a crack at a fucking guided meditation, let's go for it. Let's do it. All right. This will be a simple 10, <coughs> ten minutes. Um, mindfulness and body scan meditation, a grounding meditation. And we'll go for it. I'm going to turn off the piano. I'm going to turn off the piano and I'm going to go wild. Alright? Because I'd like silence for this. You need silence for it. So the piano is turning off now. So now you're just left with my naked voice. So what I'd like you to do if you're starting a meditation is how you sit is quite important, alright? You can do it lying down if you want. Like, if if you're in hospital or something and you want to do it while lying down, that's fine. But I would recommend finding a comfortable upright position in a chair. If you're a beginner, the best place to do it is somewhere silent and private, in your own home, or what I like to do is to find a park bench or go somewhere near a river, somewhere somewhere with a bit of nature can be really nice if you're on a walk, just sit down on a log or something. So now that you're sitting, how we kind of start is, you know, settle yourself into, into a comfortable position. Your feet on the ground, most definitely, your arse on the seat, you're back upright. You don't necessarily have to have a back support, but it helps. And then, in your own time, just close your eyes. Have your eyes closed. And what you begin with is what's known as, as checking in with different parts of your body, okay? So your eyes are closed. And I want you to notice, just notice like the very top of your head. Bring your attention to the top of your head. Now slowly, direct your attention to your shoulders. Just notice that they're there. Notice how they feel. There might be a bit of tension there. You're not trying to fight the tension. You're not trying to get out of it. You're noticing that it exists. Now bring your attention to your back, your spine. Visually. Kind of notice and feel 
your mind just scanning down your back all the way down now feel yourself sitting feel the weight of your body connecting with the seat that you're sitting on notice if it's is it shifting left is it shifting right Now scan your thighs all the way up to your knees and your hands what are they up to are they are they in your lap are they clasped together and just bring all that attention to only your hands you don't have to move them you don't have to do anything you're just noticing how your hands are feeling are they relaxed are they clenched what's going on with your hands and finally visually scan from your knees right down to your feet notice your feet connecting with the ground and how the weight of your body in the chair and how the connectedness with the ground underneath you how you feel present with the earth and your feet kind of as one what I'd like you to do now is to notice your breathing keep your mouth closed and breathe in through your nose the way to breathe is you want to breathe in through your nose so that if someone was sitting beside you they would hear they'd hear you breathing and you want to breathe in in such a way that your tummy expands not so much your chest you want to make sure that your belly is expanding as you breathe in and then getting smaller as you breathe out. Now, count your breaths one to four. Breathe in slowly through the nose. One. Now breathe out. Breathe back in slowly through the nose. Two. And breathe out. Three. And four. Only focus your attention on the breaths. If it helps, you can imagine your breath as a light of a colour of your choosing that travels in your nose, goes all the way down to your belly, expands it, comes back out, travels out your nose again. Counting one to four, 
each time. This is the only focus of your attention. Don't be worried if thoughts or feelings are tr- coming up and trying to distract you. Don't fight them. Imagine that you're floating on a river and whatever thoughts are coming past, they're just floating past you and you notice them. You allow them to exist. They're just there. They're passing by. They're being noticed. Try and notice what you're feeling. What emotions are coming up for you. Are you feeling good? Or is there maybe something there that might be annoying you a bit? A bit of discomfort? If that's the case, you're not going to fight it. You're going to notice it. You're going to allow it to exist. Floats past. The only thing that matters is your breathing and your breaths. And now in your own time, kind of start to bring your attention back to the room that you're in or whatever your surroundings are. You know, maybe listen out what noises are there. Your eyes are still closed, but you're bringing yourself back into the world. Feeling your feet on the ground, your arse in the chair. And when you feel like it, open your eyes. And then, you can start stretching out. Stretch out your fucking body, your legs, whatever you want. How did that feel, you prick? Was that enjoyable? You've just meditated for the first time. Fair fucking play for you, to you. If you enjoyed it, make that a part of your daily life. You know, notice how fucking... The first time I meditated, I felt like... I felt like I'd washed my brain. That's what it felt like. I felt I'd taken my brain out of my head and fucking washed it. 
if if you did that and you found it difficult that thoughts were flying into your head distracted that's grand there's no really right or wrong way sometimes i meditate and it doesn't work for me don't don't come away thinking oh i fucked that up i did it wrong it's it's about there's no such the whole point of meditation there's no such thing as right or wrong that's why the whole time the focus is upon i mean i use the word notice a lot you notice things to notice means to observe whether it be a sensation in the body an emotion a thought noticing not controlling not changing not fighting fucking noticing like you're on a river and there's leaves floating past you or tins of coke or whatever the fuck you're noticing it there's a tin of coke you're not going fuck's sake what's there a tin of coke doing in the river what prick threw that in there you're going there's a tin of coke nothing I can do about it it's floating past that's that's how mindfulness meditation works when you get really good at that you can start bringing it into your everyday life like I said before I, I might fucking wash the dishes in a mindful fashion I'll be washing the dishes noticing the suds on my hands or the smell in the air bringing that concentrated uh, accepting mindfulness to a daily activity as a way to reduce stress and feel fucking class and improve my mental health I was very 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 strongly tempted during that to do some of it as the throat of no crack very tempted I want you to relax and just imagine like man imagine you're in Barcelona sitting on a beach drinking Stella Artois and you feel so fucking relaxed you're not thinking once about the fucking cunts at home the cunts at home I want to see you down man fuck them you're here to relax right you're here to fucking relax and if you don't do it man you're getting glassed it's all about it I swear to God it's all about it alright I got that out of my system I didn't do it in the middle of the fucking meditation I hope you enjoyed that I really do Um, if you want more I'll do them there's not much there's not much I can fucking expand on that to be honest there isn't really that's a basic mindfulness meditation go back to it if you want if you enjoyed it once in the morning once in the evening if you like don't do them too close to bed you'd think that that would relax you for sleep but it actually doesn't that can that stimulates the mind it, it doesn't prepare you for going to sleep if you do that at 11 or 12 o'clock you'll most likely want to stay up it's a good morning thing it's a good evening thing and I don't know get to the situation where you can do it you can do that to yourself you don't need me guiding it or whatever whatever the fuck works for you Yart I'll talk to you next week Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true baby it's me Kiki Palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Yeah.